Well, this time the kids are dismissed to their program. And the rest of you get to stay. We're continuing our, our series in the book of Mark. We're in, in chapter uh, 13 now. But first, a little story. <laughs> I think it was October of 2012. Um, I was on staff at a large church in San Diego, and I was uh, over an area of ministry that included uh, baptisms, uh, among other things. And we were having a, a church baptism event and uh, we were inviting some people to come in who were interested in, in ba- getting baptized, and, and we kind of interview them and talk about, you know, what their reasons were for wanting to get baptized. Well, this guy came in, and he seemed really agitated and kind of, um, I don't know, just kind of on, on edge, kind of jittery, and he says he, he wants to get baptized, and it seemed like some urgency to this. And so I said, well, yeah, let's, let's talk about that. Why, you know, what's prompting you to get baptized? And he says, because... Before the world ends in December. And so he was pretty sure the world was going to end um, in December of 2012. As you know, there's a big buzz about that, the, the end of the Mayan calendar and, and whatnot. And uh, so he responded by, I better get right with God and go down to the local church and get baptized. Now, before we, uh, we harass this guy, I, I just feel like I should give him kudos because he had this idea about the end of the world, and it actually affected him. He wanted to do something about it. Sometimes we have an idea about the end of the world, and we don't get around to doing something about that. And so, uh, good job uh, for this guy, but he was just a little uh, off in his, um, his understanding of how it works. So, how are we actually supposed to think about uh, end times? How are we supposed to think about the catastrophic events that we see happening in our world? You know, we look at the news, or we just see these terrible things we see, um, you know, nations at conflict. We see natural disasters. How are we supposed to think about those? How are we supposed to think about catastrophic events in our own lives <laughs> when, um, we, when our own lives fall apart and things uh, close to us? And in light of all this, what in the world are we supposed to do about it? Here in Mark 13, we have great help from Jesus himself. And I think if we had to summarize this, if you're following along in your notes, it would be that following Jesus requires, above everything else, being watchful until he returns. In this whole discourse that we'll look at, the the watch word is watch, (laughs) to pay attention, to be on guard, to give consideration to, to be uh, on the alert. But what in the world are we supposed to watch for? (laughs) And how should that affect our lives? Well, here's the setting. Last uh, week, we saw Jesus coming into uh, the temple area, into the holy city, uh, the temple complex, the outer courtyard, and he had several encounters with with different um, religious leaders. And the result of all of that was that, like a building inspector would go in and say, okay, this is broken, this is broken. Uh, Jesus revealed the brokenness of the worship of the true God in Israel. It was, a, uh, it was a broken religion. And so like a good building inspector, he, he condemned the building, not just the, the actual physical structure, but the whole structure of worship of God. He condemned it, and in Mark's gospel, uh, he walked out for the last time 
um, of the temple. And we see this in, in Mark uh, 13, verses 1 and 2. This is where we ended last week. It says, as he, Jesus, came out of the temple, one of the disciples says to him, uh, look, teacher, what wonderful stones and what wonderful buildings. And by the way, the, the temple was very impressive. It had been rebuilt uh, by Herod. Um, Herod was, they called him the great because he built great things, not because he was a great guy, because he definitely wasn't. Um, but very, very impressive uh, temple. And so they're admiring that. In verse 2, Jesus says to them, oh, do you see these great buildings? There will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. <laughs> it's heavy words from Jesus about the, the temple, the center of, of all their worship. So Jesus predicted the destruction of the, the precious centerpiece of, of worship. He predicted the destruction of the temple. See, the disciples were watching. They were giving attention to, looking at the building. But Jesus says, don't pay attention to this. Instead, watch for these four things that we'll see uh, in the rest of this passage. So this morning, we'll look at four ways that followers of Jesus need to be watchful. We need to be uh, paying attention to, alert of, uh, even on, on guard about these four things. So we'll be in Mark chapter 13, if you're following along uh, in your Bible. Um, if you didn't bring one with you, uh, there's some Bibles in the pew in front of you, and this is on page 849, I believe. So Jesus exits the temple. He moves across the Kidron Valley to the other side to the Mount of Olives, where you have a great view of the temple. Um, I got to sit on the Mount of Olives and look back at the temple and just because that's super cool. Uh, so we'll pick it up in verse 3. It says, And he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. And Peter and James and John and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? So his, uh, his close disciples, they, they, uh, they caught him in kind of a private conversation and they asked him the two questions that would be the burning questions on their mind. Uh, when will this happen? He just said that the temple is going to be destroyed. So when will that take place? And what will be the sign that all this end-time stuff is going to happen? Uh, I assume that they kind of lumped those together. If the whole uh, center of their worship building was going to be destroyed, then that was probably the end of, of everything. <laughs> they wanted a time, and they wanted a sign and Jesus gave them neither. <laughs> he said instead, watch, 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 watch. And first of all, be watchful about false hopes and false fears. In verses 5 to 8. Verse 5 says, uh, here's Jesus as he begins to respond. It says, Jesus began to say to them, see, to, or see that no one leads you astray. Um, I don't want to get uh, Greek uh, geeky on you, but, um, but there's something that's really missed in English is that this word appears five times in this passage, the basic word watch, when, when the disciples are watching or looking at the temple, and then four times when Jesus tells them what they should watch. But in English translations, we, we typically translate it different each time. So I think we miss some of the emphasis that's going on here. So, See that means it's the same word that we see throughout the passage. It means watch, 
pay attention, take heed. See to it that no one leads you astray. Well, how are they likely to be led astray? They were likely to be led astray by interpreting catastrophic events as signs that the end has arrived. Verse 7 says, When you hear wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. This, this must take place, but the end is not yet. Verse 8, for nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be earthquakes in various places. There'll be famines. These are but the beginning of the birth pangs. So the wars, global conflict, natural disasters, these are not signs that the end has happened. It says the end is not yet. They are simply an inevitable part of a fallen world that's falling apart. If the last days, the time from Jesus' first coming until his return, if if that's labor, then when you see these catastrophic events happening in the world, that's just a sign that labor is progressing. (laughs) Yes, we're still headed toward the end, but the end is not yet here. It's really interesting to note, in Jesus' most detailed uh, discourse about the end times, he seems to be saying, don't get all spun up about the end times. <laughs> this goes very counter to, uh, to the church culture that I grew up in. Uh, as when I was a child, uh, the senior pastor of the church I was in was Tim LaHaye. Anybody know that name? Author of the, the Left Behind books and, and then movies, etc. In youth group, we'd watch uh, The Thief in the Night and Distant Thunder movies. Has anyone uh, watched and survived those? Okay. So for those of you who don't know, it's a mashup of, of uh, Christian film and horror film. It's meant to freak you out about the end times. And so we watch those in youth group. Uh, following Tim LaHaye, uh, David Jeremiah was the pastor, another excellent pastor. But my, 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 my only, but at least one of my early memories of of the preaching there was I just remember the overhead transparencies of Daniel's prophecy. And so it's like just this culture about the end times was, was huge. Well, uh, actually, Daniel 9 probably is the key to understanding the passage we're reading today. So this is a very important connection. But, but Daniel and Mark and Jesus, their point is not to get us wound up about the end. The point is to keep trusting God's perfect timing. Saying, you'll see these things happen, there'll be crazy things that take place, there'll be wars, there'll be rumors of wars, there'll be earthquakes, but, uh, but you didn't miss it. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't come back, and, and he's not late. Why in the world would Jesus not just come back and rescue us from our misery when there's just so much hurtful things in the world, some of us just personally hurtful things? Why, why hasn't Jesus come back yet? Has he forgot about us? Well, the Bible tells us exactly why he has not come back yet. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some reckon slowness, but he's patient toward you. He's not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, he hasn't returned because there's still people who might trust him. There's still even whole people groups that need a chance to hear and respond to the good news about Jesus. So it's not that Christ has forgotten about us. <laughs> it's not that he doesn't care what we're going through. It's that he is patient and loving, and he wants to see 
still more come to love and follow him. He's not slow in fulfilling his promises. But contrast that with the history of Christianity when we have so many people uh, predicting dates for the end. Um, it's, there's this long list, and so far they haven't got it right yet. They think uh, they're smarter than Jesus. As we saw in this passage, Jesus says, I don't know. Really kind of a, a loaded um, mind-blowing statement because he's the God-man and in the mix of how he emptied himself of his you know, free use of his, of his uh, divine attributes and how all that works out. Um, Mark doesn't explain it. He just, he just records what Jesus says. If you're smarter than Jesus, you might know when he's coming back. Otherwise, uh, we don't know. So we need to just keep trusting in God's perfect timing. When terrible things happen in the world, realize God knows what he's doing, and he'll come back at just the right time. As we were singing Revelation song this morning, I thought, oh, how cool would that be if he came back right now? <laughs> it's like, Lord, come quickly. Uh, we need you. But we know that your timing is perfect. So we need to be watchful about false hopes and false fears getting all spun up about things that we see and uh, thinking maybe we missed out on something. God's timing is perfect. But what about when the catastrophe hits uh, close to home? It's not just world events, but it's things in our own lives. And what if the hardship is actually because of our faith? It's related to our our Christian uh, testimony, and that's where the hardship is coming from. Jesus addresses this also. Be watchful, secondly, about impending persecution. Verses 9 to 13, uh, it starts off again, be on your guard. Be on your guard is the same word that means watch. Watch for what? Um, Verse 9, continuing, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you'll stand before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them. Uh, skip down to verse 12. Brother will even deliver up brother over to death, and father his child, and children will rise against parents and have them put to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Jesus predicts that his followers will experience really potentially severe persecution on account of uh, their identity with Christ. Be aware, besides the difficulties of just living in a fallen world that's falling apart, uh, you should also expect additional trouble because you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, That's a hard word, but uh, it's encouraging that Jesus gives us the heads up (laughs) and he's there with us. So so what should we do if this is the case, if, if we are to anticipate that there will be opposition to the gospel message? Well, what we need to do is keep sharing the good news. Uh, verse 10 says, the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations, all the, the ethne, the people groups in the world. It's all about sharing the gospel. And even persecution can be an opportunity to share the good news. Uh, verse 11, uh, when they bring you to trial and they deliver you over, don't be anxious beforehand about what you are to say, but say whatever is given you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. 
In other words, your, very, uh, your, your persecution, your trial is a platform to continue to talk about Jesus. So what should we do when we get opposition? Well, we should just keep telling the good news about Jesus. We'd be whimsical about it. We could be uh, uh, wise uh, about our timing of it. Uh, we could be um, thoughtful, but we need to just keep telling the good news. So I think there, there's a couple different options when we're faced with opposition or persecution for our faith. And I think how we respond probably depends on whether we anticipated this happening or not. So if you don't understand this passage that Jesus says, well, opposition will be a part of following me, then, then we tend to respond with fear or with retaliation or, or we, uh, self-preservation or we just want to hide or fight. These, this is how we want to respond to opposition if, if we can, have not grasped that Jesus says this is just going to happen. But if we're aware, if we're watching, then we can respond with goodwill and with more good news and with goodness. The persecution itself can be an opportunity to tell about the love of Jesus, to show the love of Jesus. So we need to be just watchful, aware, mindful that sometimes we encounter difficulties because of our love for Jesus. When difficulty hits close to home, we just need to keep sharing the good news because it really is good news. Well, then we have this third encouragement in this passage to watch, and it relates to this really strange phrase, the abomination of desolation. This phrase, the abomination of desolation, is um, almost certainly from uh, Daniel's prophecy uh, back in the Old Testament. It was first fulfilled about 200 years earlier when Antioch Epiphanes, he sacrificed a pig on the temple altar just to, just to desecrate it and, and uh, put, the, put the, the Jews in their place because they, they usurped them and, and destroyed them. Uh, following that was, um, was the Maccabean revolt in, in all of that. So this prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled 200 years earlier, 167 B.C. Well, Jesus seems to apply it also to the near future desecration by Rome in 70 AD. But both of these things seem to foreshadow the ultimate fulfillment of this prophecy that would take place in the yet-to-come tribulation. And it's a little complicated in this passage to know which one of those things Jesus is emphasizing. And uh, it's a little bit like... uh, the phrase, a man with two watches never knows what time it is. So if you, uh, if you read one scholarly commentator on this, you're like, oh, oh, that's easy. It, he's obviously just talking about uh, the 70 AD uh, Rome burning the temple. And you read another one, you're like, oh, wait a minute. Now I'm not so sure. I think he's talking about the tribulation. And it seems to be that Jesus is talking a little bit about both in this whole dialogue, going back and forth, yes, and also at sometimes probably talking about both. So uh, as I was just wrestling with this over the last couple of weeks, um, this thought came to my mind that was such an enormous relief. Jesus' point is not lost either way. His point is exactly the same, 
whichever, uh, whichever way you go as far as which is emphasizing at any given time. And his point is simply, be watchful about false spiritual leaders. Verses 14 to 20 describe a time of horrific suffering following the quote-unquote abomination of desolation. During that time, false spiritual leaders, they'll capitalize on these traumatic events and lead people astray. Verse 21, and then if anyone says to you, hey, look, here, this is the Christ, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. So what should we do? Verse 23, be on your guard. Any guess what that word is? The same one. Watch, watch, watch. Be on your guard because I've already told you these things beforehand. I told you these things beforehand. I said this would happen. So just stick to the clear teaching of Scripture. Don't listen to the voices that want to capitalize on this uh, catastrophic event and lead you astray from the plain teaching of Scripture. What has been clearly told us by Jesus, what has clearly been laid out in the whole counsel of God, we can cling to that. And the more clear it is, the more firmly we can cling to it. So, so far, this discourse on the end times uh, seems to discourage us from really worrying about the end times. I realize that's strange, but I think that's really what's happening in that conversation. The disciples think, oh, this is going to happen anytime. You know, when's it going to? Tell us when. Tell us what we should look for. And Jesus says, just watch, watch, watch. So should we be concerned with the end times? And should we think about the return of Christ? The answer is yes, yes, yes. We should think about it all the time. He could come back today. So here's the fourth thing to watch for. Oh, there's a verse there. Oh, I think I already put up. No, I just sorted my things wrong. We'll get there. Hold up. Well, I could probably tell it to you, but it's just so much more fun to click and show it to you. Be watchful forth about the coming of Christ in glory. Jesus says, you see these crazy things happening? That's not the end. But, verse 24, in those days after that tribulation, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. That gives me the chills. (laughs) Two thoughts about that. One is Christ most certainly will return. He'll return in glory. And secondly, we're not going to miss it. You don't not notice when the sun darkens and the moon disappears and things fall out of the sky and the Son of Man comes down and lands on the Mount of Olives in all his glory. Mark, throughout this whole, uh, this whole narrative describing Jesus' life, portrays Jesus as the suffering servant. 
people wonder, oh, is he the Messiah? And they read into that, you know, political uh, savior and uh, keep saying, shh, no, just no, don't go there yet. Don't go there yet. And we see this earthy, humble Jesus who's about to uh, just uh, at the hands of the Jewish leaders and then the Romans to give his life. But before that happens, we get this glimpse to say, but when he comes back, (laughs) he will absolutely blow your minds um, completely apart in his glory. You will not miss it. You will not say, huh, I wonder if this is Jesus, the Messiah or not. You will be completely clear because his glory will be uh, unshadowed, unsheltered. Interesting passage, Zechariah 14.4. This is concerning the return of the Lord. Uh, It says, On that day his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east. And the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley. Really interesting. Jesus, um, uh, where is he sitting as he's telling uh, about the future? He's sitting on the Mount of Olives. So he left uh, the temple. He goes through the valley. He sits up on the other side. His disciples come to him. He says, here, let me, let me tell you about things to come. When he comes back, he's not going to be sitting <laughs> at all. He's going to be standing. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, it's apparently just going to split the whole mountain in two and be a rather dramatic, dramatic event. Well, this is followed, verses 28 to 31. We don't really have time to talk about very much. We read it earlier, this lesson of the fig tree. And I think the main point to that is simply, as sure as seasons change, you know, the leaves come, and then the fruit, then, you know, it all cycles back in. As sure as seasons change, these things are going to happen. And then the final uh, part of this passage, verses 32 to 37, uh, Jesus gives this illustration of a master of a house who goes away and, uh, and leaves his servants to tend to things. And he, and he um, appoints a doorkeeper to, to watch over things. And he says uh, in verse 32, Concerning that day or that hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So be on guard. Same word. Watch. Watch. And what? Watch and keep awake. Keep spiritually uh, alive, awake, paying attention. Uh, Why should we always be in this state of being uh, spiritually awake and paying attention? Because, uh, verse 33, because you don't know when the time will come. He doesn't say, watch to figure out when I'm coming back. He says, watch because you don't know when I'm coming back. You see how these are rather different statements? Sometimes when um, we'd leave our kids at home for some reason, you know, Heather and I are going to the store, we'd say, hey, we're going to the store. And our kids would say, oh, when you be back? And I'd always say, when you least expect it. <laughs> so it partly just to be silly. I know it wasn't a very helpful answer. But it's that same idea of, you know, hey, we could come back, you know, at, at any time. Uh, Jesus doesn't give this little story of the, of the, um, the master of the house, and uh, the master of the house doesn't say as he's leaving, watch the horizon, 
or uh, watch to see, you know, me coming down the path. He says, watch and be about the work that I gave you. Watch yourself. Watch the house. <laughs> I, I left you here to do something. What are we supposed to do? What did the master leave us to do as he left? Do you remember in Matthew, his parting words? Hey, I'm going to be gone a while. Matthew 28, 19. While I'm gone, make disciples of all nations. When are you coming back? When you least expect it. What should we do while you're gone? Make disciples of all nations. Discipleship is Jesus' parting word. What's that? Um, This whole book has been about discipleship, about uh, following Jesus, about an apprenticeship to Jesus, aligning our lives uh, under the master Jesus, learning to depend on him and learn from him. And so it's about being a disciple and also recruiting, so to speak, uh, disciples, others who might follow him. So being a disciple is this daily concern with being an apprentice of Jesus. And so the application, I think, is don't put off the soul work. <laughs> we need to be tending the house of our, you know, of our hearts, of our, of our souls. We don't say things like, well, once I finish school, then I'll make more time for God. Or I know this habit has a real grip on me, but, uh, but I'll do something about it tomorrow. Or... I know I need to reconcile that relationship, but I'll wait for that person to initiate. And on and on. We put off the matters of the heart, the matters of the soul. Think about your own soul right now, your own heart. If Jesus came back right now before the end of this, this message, how, how would he find the state of our, of our souls, the state of our relationship with, uh, with him? Um, are, are there things we need to do business with right now? Um, I mean, if you had to right now get up and do some business, that's fine, but I'm suggesting maybe just right afterwards. Um, just take care of those things and don't let them pass. So being a disciple, but the other end is making disciples. He left saying, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, of all people groups, daily concerned that others discover the joy of following Jesus. So this means we don't put off those spiritual conversations with people, you know, that we, we love, people in our neighborhoods, our friends, families. We, we talk to them about Jesus. We don't neglect the global task of discipleship, taking the good news to the corners of the world. If Jesus returned today, how would he find the state of our task of reaching the world with the good news about Jesus? Would he say, what in the world have you guys been doing? (laughs) Or would he say, good job, good and faithful servant? So we should be constantly thinking about the Lord's return. Not freaking out about the Lord's return. Not uh, obsessed with trying to uh, make sure all our charts are all in order. But we should be every day mindful that this could be the day. And in our hearts, are we ready for his return? So just kind of to recap, we will experience catastrophe in this fallen world that's falling apart. This happens. Jesus warned us about this. Don't let those things, those difficult things in the world or personally derail your faith because Jesus warned us this is coming. Instead, let those things be a constant reminder that the Lord will certainly return. 
this is uh, just saying, yeah, labor is progressing, and we know what's at the end is that Christ comes back for us. In the meantime, don't put off tending to spiritual things, the matters of the heart, the matters of the soul. Simple challenge is just stay awake. I don't mean that literally, because I, I don't really see anybody sleeping right now, but but in our in our hearts, in our um, in our spirit, in our soul, stay awake. Don't doze off and forget about what we're here to do. Uh, I'd like to, um, as uh, Noah and Jennifer come back up, uh, I'd like to read the end of the story. In fact, I'd like you to read it with me. Uh, if you are longing for the Lord's return, why don't you stand with me as we read this final this is, the, this is the end of the book. Not, not just the book of Mark, but the end of, of the whole book. Revelation 22, verses 20 and 21. Let's read together. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. Wouldn't that be great if he came today? You could remain standing.